0: Welcome to the podcast of New City Church. We hope this podcast inspires you on your journey of inward and outward transformation. Please join us on Sundays. You can find more information on our website, grownewcity.church. God bless you. Um. I don't know, like, if you guys have been to a lot of churches, I've worked at a number of churches, and the staff has always been great, but, like, the staff and volunteers at New City are next level. Like, every single person that I meet, I'm like, excuse me, how are you, like, so cool and amazing and, like, just, like, incredible. So, you know, just meet some people. You will not be disappointed. Um, So, as Chloe said, I am Sarah. I'm on staff here at New City, and I am so excited to be with you here today. Um, and so, like Chloe said, we're looking at the Book of Romans. Um, and I don't know if you've read Romans, but there's like a lot of really amazing passages in Romans. Um, but there's also a lot of like problematic passages, like things that you read and you just like cringe and you're like, ooh, I'm just going to like pretend that the Bible doesn't say that because it makes me like so uncomfortable. Um, And today's passage, I think, has a lot of really incredible wisdom, um, but it also has like a little bit of cringy stuff. And so we're going to talk about it. Um, It really hits hard on the idea of flesh and spirit, which like, let's just put it out there. If you say flesh as many times as Paul does in this passage, like, things get a little weird. Like, if I said the word flesh that many times, like, you would be weirded out. Like, I feel like we're in, like, a, like, a gothic novel, maybe, like, which is not helped by the fact that, like, a couple verses earlier, Paul, like, dramatically says, like, who will rescue me from this body of death? Which just, like, it feels like we're in a graphic, like, a gothic romance novel. Like, just come on. Um, But this picture painted of the body and the flesh in this verse makes out that, like, the body, that our flesh is something bad. It gives the idea that, like, if we could only live in this, like, spiritual realm, in this realm of, like, the mind and the soul, and we, like, didn't have to put up with this, like, broken and decrepit body, like, things would be better. But that's an idea I want to challenge because that's an idea I think that the Bible challenges. It's an idea that I think God challenges. The idea that I want to deconstruct is the idea that our faith, our Christianity, if you identify as a Christian, our relationship with God doesn't just involve our mind and spirit, but it involves our whole selves, including our bodies. The flesh and the bone and the blood and the organs that ground us into this world. We don't have to hate our bodies. We don't have to disassociate from our bodies. Our bodies are not bad. But I think that some of us have gotten that message from Christianity, that our bodies are bad, are evil, are wrong, are not what they should be. I mean, imagine that some of you have encountered purity culture, and that some of you, like me, have some feelings about it. Um, Purity culture encompasses this set of beliefs about sexual, sexual ethics in and outside of relationships. It's most often associated with the evangelical church, but of course, that's not the only group that holds this kind of expectations. The main teaching is abstinence, or like, don't you dare have sex before you're married, Um, and that's wrapped up in things like modesty, gender roles. Um, Purity culture also doesn't leave any room for queer people. The expectation is that you're cisgendered, heterosexual, and you conform to traditional gender expressions and roles, and anything outside of that is unacceptable. For those of us who grew up with it, purity culture taught us to be ashamed of our bodies, to hide our bodies, to be afraid of our bodies, because there was something inherently evil about our bodies, and one small slip-up would land us in a pit where we could never get out. And while those outside of evangelical Christian circles might not promote this type of purity culture, I do think that there is a type of purity that they do condone. Um, The world teaches us that our bodies are only valuable, are only good, are only worthy if they're skinny, if they're abled, if they're healthy, they're young, they're white, they conform to all the beauty standards of the moment. These ideas lead to the exact same things that Christian purity culture leads to, the belief that we have to be ashamed of our bodies, that we have to hide our bodies, we have to be afraid of our bodies, and afraid of the bodies of those who are different than us. Purity culture, in all its forms, alienates us from our bodies. It tells us that our bodies are only good, are only acceptable if they look a certain way, they act a certain way, they function in a certain way. And when we inevitably fail those unrealistic expectations, we're often left feeling like there's something wrong with us, something wrong with us, our bodies, something wrong with us as a whole. And today's scripture, like, only seems to confirm that feeling. It gives the impression that we need to somehow alienate ourselves from our flesh, from our bodies. Well, the good news, because, you know, I'm not going to let you all keep thinking that, is that that's not actually what this passage says. Um, Here at New City, we talk a lot about empire, which we use as a shorthand to mean the powers of dominion and oppression in our world, the systems and structures that marginalize and oppress people. That's what we're actually talking about in this passage. The flesh is the things of the empire, the things in this world that are in direct opposition to the liberating love of God. Paul is contrasting the things of God, the things of the spirit, the things that lead to freedom and liberation and life, with the things of the empire, the things that lead to oppression and poverty and death. And ironically, or confusingly enough, those empire things, those quote unquote flesh things that he's talking about, are in opposition to the flourishing of our whole being, including the flourishing of our physical bodies. When we can't see the goodness of our bodies, of all bodies, we miss out on the fullness of life that God has for us. When we perpetuate the body shame that comes so easily in this world, we create barriers that keep others from experiencing the fullness of life that God has for them. It reminds me of the verse in John where Jesus says, the thief comes only to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And y'all, I hope you know that the empire is stealing life from us. It has been figuratively and literally stealing that life from us, killing black bodies, neglecting immigrant bodies, harming trans bodies, and convincing us that the fullness of life is only available to us if we can squeeze and contort our bodies into the molds that they deem acceptable. Earlier this year, we read through the book, This Here Flesh by Cole Arthur Riley, who is a black, queer, disabled writer. And she talks about the Bible, the body, saying this. The chasm between the spiritual and the physical is no greater than that between a thought and a word. They cannot be disconnected. And it is difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins. Perhaps because there is no such place. We we're never meant to dismember our selfhoods. My face is my soul, is my body, is my glory. When we neglect the physical, it inevitably suffocates the image of God who ate, slept, cried, bled, grew, and healed. And whether or not the origin of that neglect is hatred, it will indeed end in hatred. I want a faith that loves the whole of me. And if I make it to the table of God, I hope it has cornbread stuffing and comfortable chairs. I mean no offense to the desert mothers and fathers eating locusts and honey and inching with camel hair, But I hope God knows how my cousin's baked ham and cheese tastes. I hope he puts ham hocks on his greens and feels no shame. Mmm, it's just so good. Like, honestly, I feel like I could just read that chapter up here and be done. Like, that's enough. That's all the wisdom, more wisdom that I have to offer you. But um, we already did that series. You guys are stuck with me. Sorry, not sorry. Um... But there are so many things that I love about this passage, um, this excerpt from this book. But one of the things that catches me is the hope that God's table has comfortable chairs. Like, isn't that so real? Like, because you know that, like, God's table is going to have comfortable chairs because I believe that God loves and accommodates for all of our bodies and will have the appropriate and comfortable seating for everyone. Um, So, you know, I'm a fat person, which I don't think has to be a derogatory term, I think it can just be a descriptive term. Um, But like, fatphobia is real, right? Like, it's one of the many ways that our, the empire works against us by judging our bodies. Um, And for those of you who don't have experience being a fat person, let me tell you, chairs are a really big deal. Like, if I'm going to sit down to enjoy a meal, like, there better be comfortable chairs. Like, otherwise, I'm not going to enjoy it. It is going to affect my entire experience. Like, there are certain chairs, if I walk into a restaurant and I see, like, I don't know, these chairs, like, immediately, no. These are so uncomfortable for me. Absolutely not. Don't make me sit in these. There are chairs that, like, don't fit my butt. There are chairs that you look at and you're like, those are, like, real skinny legs and, like, that is like not gonna support all of this like that's not happening um and like us also a very special shout out to these chairs like yes i had to include pictures because these while not uncomfortable like when i sit in them they like suction my butt in and so that like every time i sit or like shift or get up like it makes like a farting noise so like I I just have to, like, carefully lower myself into the chair and then, like, not move until I, like, carefully get up. Um, Like, clearly, all of these chairs were not made with my body in mind. And I have to remind myself that my body is not the problem. It's the problem of whoever made those chairs and didn't think about accommodating people who look like me. And I'm sure that many of you have examples like that, where the world was not built to accommodate your body, how it looks, how it works, what's comfortable for you, all of those things. But I think that following the, following the ways of God, the ways of liberating love, by doing that, we're able to move towards a world where everybody is accommodated. What would it mean to live in a world that, that values our bodies, that accommodates our bodies, that celebrates our bodies in all their different iterations and all their diversity? How do we start to recognize the goodness of our bodies when we're surrounded by things that try to convince us otherwise? How do we remind ourselves that our problem is not our bodies, but the cultures and systems that were created to exclude all but a few? How do we welcome, embrace, and embrace our bodies just as they are, as part of who we are, as part of our whole being? As someone who follows Jesus, I think that we're offered some really incredible examples of what this looks like through Jesus's life because we get to see someone who embraces everything that comes with having a body. I do wish there were more stories of Jesus like getting hangry or like complaining about how much his feet hurt or like his disciples like making fun of him for how loud he snored or like his weird cowlick or something. But like even if we don't have those kinds of stories, we do have a lot of stories about what it's like to live in a body. And one thing we see a lot of is Jesus and the people around him eating. Eating is such like a mundane thing that I think when we see it in the Bible, like we just kind of gloss over it but I think it's an incredible example of the way that the physical and the spiritual are entwined in the life of Jesus and in our own lives. Um, There's a story in Mark where Jesus and his disciples are like walking through this field of grain and it's the Sabbath and the disciples are hungry, okay, so they like pick some grain and start eating it But because it's the Sabbath, they're not supposed to be working. And like the Jewish laws say that you're not supposed to work. And even like the simple thing of just like grabbing a few grains is considered working because you're like harvesting. Um, And so when, (coughs) excuse me, when Jesus is called out on this and like, why did you let your disciples do this? Jesus stands up for his disciples. He stands up for them just fulfilling the needs of their body. And like, I love that. I love that this like simple and small example is just Jesus acknowledging the everyday needs of living in a body. Because like, if I'm hungry and I'm walking through like a field of food, like yeah, I'm gonna eat it no matter what day it is, like come on. Um, And there are so many examples like this where Jesus provides not just for the spiritual and emotional needs of the people, but their physical needs too, because their bodies matter. The way that Jesus tells his disciples, tells us to remember him the night before he was crucified, is through food, through bread and wine, through nourishing our bodies. And when he held up the bread and he held up the wine, he didn't say like, this is all the things I taught you and like, these are the five steps to becoming a good Christian. He said, this is my body and this is my blood. Here is a physical reminder that nourishes your physical bodies to remind you of my physical body. Father Shannon Kearns is a trans man and priest who has, like, a podcast and a book and um, writes about queer theology, and he talks about this picture of Jesus um, after his resurrection where some of Jesus's scars are visible. Um, And I think we often think about, like, okay, Jesus had, like, holes in his hands and it were his wrists and his feet Um, but part of the story when Jesus was on the cross is that he gets stabbed in the side with a sword Um, and that scar is often depicted like on his side um, on a lower part of his chest like right here Um, and Father Kearns talks about how in this particular painting the scar that Jesus has looks a lot like the scar of someone who like him has had top surgery and he talks about his own scars how we used to assume that our resurrected bodies would be perfect, that things like our scars would be gone. It was a similar assumption to one that I had, that after Jesus comes back and everyone's body is resurrected, those bodies would be made new, and all of the physical evidence of our lives would be erased. I think I had assumed that Jesus, when Jesus was resurrected, his new and glorified body would just go back to the way it was before he endured the trauma of the cross. But the reminders of that trauma still existed on his body. Things couldn't just go back to the way they were. But Father Kearns asked, what if like Jesus' resurrected body, our resurrected bodies still have scars? What if resurrection doesn't make our scars go away but instead makes our scars holy? When we go through something like sickness or trauma, we often end up with scars. Oh, that's That's not right, sorry. Um, When we go through something like sickness or trauma, we often end up with scars, either visible on our body or somehow remembered in our body. We know that our body remembers trauma, even sometimes when our minds don't, even sometimes going back generations. Because like it or not, those experiences marked us. We can't erase them because they're part of who we are and they helped make us who we are. We can't go back to the version of us before the scars because that particular place, person and that particular time and place doesn't exist anymore. We're someone new, we're somewhere new, but we hold this story in our bodies of all the people we've been, of all the places we've been, of all the things that have brought us here. And gosh, doesn't that feel holy? That's not to say that those experiences or those things weren't traumatic or awful or that those things ever should have happened or that your body ever should have been that way. That doesn't discount the pain or the senselessness of illness and it doesn't make things okay. But I think it offers us a path to be at home in our bodies exactly as they are in this moment. It offers us a path to compassion for our bodies. That doesn't mean we shouldn't work to heal our traumas or support research to cure diseases or take our meds or do any of those things to minimize all those visible and invisible scars. But in the midst of all of those things, I hope that we can remember that we are loved and we are good and we are enough, just as we are from our body to our mind to our soul. And I hope that we can keep reminding of ourselves of that. Because if our bodies can remember trauma, I have to believe that our bodies can remember something else too. I have to believe that if we keep reminding ourselves that our bodies are good just as they are, if we can see our scars as reminders of the things good and bad that have made us who we are, if we can keep telling our bodies that they're holy, our whole being, including our body, will remember that too. I want to invite you to take one small step towards embracing your body just as it is today. Maybe that's finding a spiritual practice that involves your body, like square breathing, which we have um, some stuff about on our Instagram. Or maybe it's standing up for the accommodations that your body needs and fighting for the accommodations that other bodies need. Maybe it's taking some time to remember all the things your body has been through and that your body has brought you through. Whatever you choose, I hope it brings you closer to embracing the whole person God has made you to be, body and all.